Welcome to the Inner Athlete Podcast, where we discuss all things youth athlete development and youth mentoring. Yeah, then you spoke about like some of the major issues that you see in terms of more, more traumatic injuries. So it's like hamstring tears, yeah. ACLs, yeah. Um, I think, and then even like some sort of like chronic lower back, imaging splints, yeah. and stress fractures. Yeah. How do you go about um, working with those individuals and kind of like changing the expectations with them in terms of re- return to training and return to play? Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a good question. So, I, th- I think with all those injuries, the first thing we, you've got to establish, particularly the chronic ones, is you've got to you've got to establish a diagnosis first, which is 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 important um, and and not always done well. Um, what it, makes you say that? Actually, this, this is a comp- good point because I've worked with. Um, I guess the people that we work with, we do vet them. So I know you're good. <laughs> I know a few others that we work with closely that are actually quite good. Yeah. And there have been sometimes the members have gone to see someone else and the diagnosis or the, the return to play or return to train model is abhorrent. Mm. So how do you how do you kind of like go around that in terms of what you've heard and what you've seen versus what you do? Oh, it's a, yeah, it's it's just I think it, you've got to spend the time with the athlete to, and with with the person in front of you and, and get a really good history because that there's a lot lot of detail in that, um, and, and 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 really spend the time at the first time you see them making sure that you're ruling out all the things that you don't think it is and and you're ruling in and doing so ruling out the stuff that you don't want to miss and then obviously doing tests and other clinical tests to make sure that you're you're really clear on the diagnosis that you've got like a classic thing that which we see is um patellofemoral knee pain versus patellotendinopathy which you often manage very differently in terms of but they're very close in terms of where you tend to get your symptoms, but the population's often very different. Where they get the symptoms is very different, but you need to have that right because it's going to guide the next steps and it's also going to guide your your expectations of recovery as well, like a, a muscle strain versus tendinopathy is another classic one or sciatic nerve issues versus, uh, you, you know... Like a, like a hamstring strain is another one as well um, and, and they seem quite basic but if you don't get those things right sometimes they have a, a tissue healing phase some of these things are chronic and we don't, we're not waiting for a tissue healing phase and we can load them earlier so um, if, if you don't have that right I, I think it makes your job much harder later on um, and, and, there's, and, and part of that is you're also working out is this for rehab or not um, like there's some injuries and some bits and pieces that might not be for rehab and you need to be able to refer out to people that can manage these things um, and you might need to use your see a sports doc or an orthopaedic surgeon or something like that but you'd much rather get get an idea of what those things are early and refer them on early um, so that's 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 probably the first part and the second part is once you've got your diagnosis then and you're and you're, you're saying yes this person's for rehab well then the next part of it is okay well then you've got to go back to the drawing board okay okay why is this person in this situation in the first place because mm. you could have 10 different people with patellofemoral knee pain or achilles tendinopathy with different reasons that they've got to that situation in the first place and and there's no recipes in terms of how you manage these things you've you've got to see them how they move how they jump how they land and and really look at their movement strategy and their strength and their muscle capacity and and develop an individualized plan yeah no that's interesting because you're you're looking at from an individual perspective you know, you hear time frames and I know AFL commentators are notorious. It was like, oh, it's three to six weeks <laughs> you know, for a hamstring strain. I'm just like, oh, great. Yeah. But, and I think it comes down, 
I think it comes down to like that's always been like the general trend that is generally the norm, but there could be like some sort of very various issues. Like if you go look at like you know NRL superstars, for example, Ryan Poppenhausen, he's back playing uh, for Sunshine Coast Falcons, um, and he's had some abhorrent um, time abhorrent injuries and he's had a lot of time away and he's like a multi-million he's a million dollar athlete yeah. uh, for Melbourne Storm um, and he's he had to go over to the US same thing with Latrell Mitchell he had to go over to the US um, then there was um, Jake, oh, Tom Travo- uh, no, Jake Travoy no Tom Travoyevich who plays for Manly he's the fullback mm. and he's had an abhorrent um, injury run as well he's just he's been out he hasn't been the same since he was you know back in his early days as a, more of as a rookie than anything else him and his brother um, and you just kind of see like these timelines get kind of like strained out for so long for these injuries and it just seems like almost like people don't have a clue of what's really going on just kind of like and then the parents will see this and hear this information and then the parents are like they're going to worry about is my child going to get injured or they're going to be out for you know on the sideline for ages so it just become the messaging is just really odd at the moment especially in the sports medicine field of like why aren't these individuals um remaining injury free when they continually have the same injury mm-hmm. as well and you probably get a lot of that in your practice where it's the same injury may have gone somewhere else may have rehabbed it um, back to normal, return to play. I don't know two, four weeks later, same issue again. So how do you how do you go about that? Working with individuals that have the same injuries again and again. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, good question. So you've got to zoom out. I think um, like if, if you've got a if you've got an issue with the knee, you've got to look at other areas around that body part. Like you can't miss the ankle, you can't miss the hip. There's other bits and pieces that I think contribute. That I think sometimes if you're too laser focused on, on on rehabbing and loading just the tissue which is injured and not thinking about the rest of the kinetic chain and not thinking about um, how their body moves in other loaded positions, then then sometimes you can be missing on some fundamental issues that can cause. Like, you know, you might look at hamstring strains and running, for example. You, you could load a hamstring and, and build strength up. And then if you've got someone who runs with significant overstriding and has really poor orientation of how they load their pelvis and they're running in a significant anterior pelvic tilt, like they're still getting themselves into compromising positions, which could be disloading up the hamstring. And, and sometimes you might need to tweak those things because you just get there is recurrences. So I think the big part is zooming out and actually looking at looking at other joints and regions outside of the injured site to make sure that those things are covered off with, which I think is important. And the other thing which I think is important is maintaining whatever training load you can. Um, I think Mm. if your training load dips too much and you're going, you know, and you have a, I don't know, any sort of injury and you're doing nothing and then you're ramping up your training load back up again and then it drops back down again, that massive fluctuation, there's some research to show can contribute to risk to injury and there's always something that you can do and I think... Like uh, like hamstring injuries, for example, like you can often start low speed running really quite early, and so like there's no reason with a hamstring strain, like we regularly three to five days after a hammy, try to get their volume right up as much as we can. So they're doing everything they can, they're doing whatever skills they can, and so the last thing they need to tick off is this high speed running load. So like you're trying to, so that way you're still getting calf loading, you're still getting groin loading, they're still getting kick loading for their quad. If we're talking about footy, and hopefully as a result of that means that when they return to play it's not like they're returning to everything at the same time they're just 
ticking off the last bit. And so I think that's a really important part. So you're zooming out, looking at the body and how they move, but also maintaining loads as best as you can. Now, I think, I think that's really important. Yeah, I think that's probably the missed point of a lot of rehab and return to play where, because we've had members here, they've gone to see other practitioners. Mm-hmm. Same boat, they're being told to completely rest for whatever reason. So say, for example, it's a, a lower back injury. I'm like, okay, cool. We can take the lower back out of the equation because they're still going to, if it's a school kid, they're still going to carry a 20 kilo backpack. They're yeah. still going to walk around. Yeah. They're still going to find a way to run around or yeah. something like that. So we might as well load up other areas so they're not... We can kind of keep them off doing movement patterns that might inflame the area and then be able to focus on other areas that would actually be able to help, I guess, more more so from a mental perspective to be like, all right, I can actually do something. I can actually move forward rather than just be like, oh, my lower back's always going to be like this and I just can't do it. I can't do anything because my lower back's done essentially. Um, And then once when we've had other members as well where they've had surgery or something like that they're pretty much back pretty pretty quickly within depending on the turnaround time and how well they recover from the 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 surgery itself you know i think one of the girls she came back within maybe three days of the surgery Mm. then we had another one within a week Mm. as well and one was an acl one was a meniscal uh she had two tears in in her one knee in a meniscus mm. um, and she came and they both came back really quickly got them doing some other stuff and trying to keep the attention away from the sore area but it helped to what we also did is we actually focused on trying to loosen around the structures because what we had noticed is anytime someone had surgery that that area or site tends to lock up for sure as more of a protective mechanism for which sure. is totally normal and you would probably see that quite a lot and then you're trying to do some manual therapy on them mm. as well in order to I guess release those areas Hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's huge. I think even just mentally, um, a lot of athletes like they need to move. They want to move, and and when you're out for long periods of time doing nothing, like it, it makes a return often a bigger hurdle when you when you're coming from doing nothing. Whereas if you're keeping some training load up, I think in terms of maintaining your confidence, um, keeping your headspace in a good in good order, I think keeping training loads up is huge for that. Um, so I think. From that perspective, keeping people ticking along is, 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 is massive and it can almost seem as overly aggressive to some people that we're trying to keep doing gym and that, but I think the benefits definitely outweigh um, the, the risks and, and I think particularly, you know, as you mentioned, knees and stuff like that, there's heaps you can do on the other leg, upper body, other types of conditioning you can do, working around the calf, working around the hips, so that way then as the knee settles down and the knee's ready to be loaded, you've already kind of ticked off the other part, so you've just got to address the knee once that's ready to go. So I, I think that's a, a, a like a really critical part. I think, um, yeah, that's... That, that, and that, that's probably what the, one of the big differences is that we're consistently educating in elite sport compared to uh, sort of at, at lower levels is elite sport, you know, we're, we're getting them going straight away. Yeah, so what's the, what are the three lessons, I guess, from that that you've taken away from elite sport that the, a lot of parents can actually take away for the youth athlete? Yeah, so I, I think one thing is if, you're, if you've got an injury that um, is causing issues, make sure you get it checked out early and have a really good understanding in terms of what you're dealing with. I think um, sometimes if you let things go for a long period of time and and they're not able to play sport, they're 
they're unsure. They're not sure what what the issue is. That can become a bit of an issue because um, it, get, getting that diagnosis and an understanding of what's wrong can really help guide what they can do both in terms of playing capacity, can guide what they can do in the gym, can guide what they can do in terms of rehab, and it can also just give some expectations in terms of how long we're expecting to return, which I think is a good thing to at least know when the light at the end of the tunnel is. Mm. So I think having, a, having an understanding of what you're dealing with is important. Um, the other part is probably trying to encourage your, your, you know, your, your son or daughter to, to keep on doing something. Um, if you've got an injury, I think there's often a, when you've got any sort of injury, there's often a period of time when you've got to unload the joint and allow it to settle down. But there's still a lot of things that you can do. So I think it's really important to still to try to emphasize to continue going. Like if you you know if you're a swimmer and you've got a shoulder injury, you can still jump in the pool and use your legs and still get involved and keep yourself active and involved in some way, shape or form. So I think it's really important to try to encourage that um, and, and not be fearful of. Of, of, of maintaining some sort of load. I think that's part also important as well. Um, and I think the third thing that I think is important is when you return from injury, um, sometimes we sort of think, okay, like rehab's done and we just go back to regular programming. But I think making sure that you're still doing the things that you were doing or or maintaining the things that you were doing that got you right in the first place or, having, or still touching base on those things. We know in terms of injury risk, the... One of the biggest risk factors for injury is having a previous injury, and that tends to be the highest more recently. More recently, once you've had the injury at, at shorter time frames. So, keeping those things in, even once you've returned to play, I think is something that's really important. Yeah, and I think you also got to have to not, not necessarily do the rehab work all the time, but you also have to progress from the rehab work. Is to make sure that you're maintaining the the new movement pattern that you're trying to that you've ingrained earlier on mm. post injury, mm. and continue on ingraining that in various in variations um, of that movement, whether it's a squat, lunge, or whatever it may be, um, and then continue on with that because it's again the biggest issue that I see is you can tell if someone's likely injured or has a history of injury based on their movement patterns and the mm. compensatory changes that they've made for that for sure. as well. So if they've got a restriction in their ankle, usually you can tell they've, um, when they're doing like a squat or an overhead squat and their knees don't, they can't plan a flex, so they can't allow their shin to track forward. Usually you can ask them, have you had an ankle injury? It's like, yes, okay, now they've got compensatory issues, which basically means more likely they're going to use their lower back rather than their quads and their glutes. So it's really trying to retrain that motor pattern, then continually training that motor pattern so it becomes the normal motor pattern. And obviously that's going to take a long, quite a long time, but you have to continue to load it up, especially under certain levels of fatigue and hopefully and then as a result it shouldn't actually pop up or anything like that as well 100 percent. i think um like hamstring injuries soft tissue injury is super common and there's some research that shows that so we know when, when you've had a soft tissue injury um individual muscle fibers are called fascicles and you can get some shortening of muscle fascicles when you've had a, a muscle tissue a soft tissue injury and that we know that eccentric training particularly at longer muscle lengths is a as a useful way to help rebuild and re-lengthen fat muscle fibers which is an important part of of, of rehab but we also know that um, if you stop doing eccentric strengthening work within three weeks you can get a regression of that and so mm. like keeping things up like eccent like as you've said just progressing the same principles that you're trying to do to address the area but still maintaining some of those principles 
once you've had the injury, I think I think it's really important. And yeah, and I think as you mentioned, spot on. Like if you've got an ankle injury, making sure that you're sort of covering off on the hip and the knee, and and how they're moving, and, and then how that relates to the things that you're doing, I think is is critical. Yeah, and usually I can see that it, that's the the missing link in their performance as well. When you can identify when they've had some sort of structural change. Usually, you can identify that that might be the missing link in terms of them to be able to make a step forward. So, like for swimmers, we did a screening with the Melbourne Swimming a couple of weeks ago. We did overhead squats, very basic screen, and I identified a few swimmers that have had ankle injuries mm. and referred back that back to a pre-exercise screening form they all completed, mm. and actually and it all linked up. Yeah, and as a result, their um, their, their vertical jump. So that we do squat jump and counter movement jumps. Yeah. So the vertical jumps are probably not as good as where they should be. Yeah. So if they can't load up the Achilles, it means we can't get like the little springy effect, especially in the counter movement jump. And then if they can't allow their knees to track forward, we really can't get the, the glutes and the quads to really load up into that position and really get that stress shortening cycle, especially through the patella tendon mm-hmm. um, in that bottom phase um, of, their, of their vertical jumps. So to me, it's like... I know I see this as just like you know you know it's just it, to me it seems really simple it's like riding a, it's like riding a bike but a lot of people really don't understand these minor changes can have such a downstream effect in terms of the functionality the compensatory changes we may see in their performances and then as if we start to load that up or they get put in a position where that compensatory change doesn't actually work that's when we get failure of the system and that's where the injuries actually start to pop up 100%. Like, I think, um, like, if you're, like, if you're swimming or running, there's any time you're using that leg, you're getting, you know, X amount of load that the leg has to attenuate. Like, there's a certain amount of load and, um, and, and your body's got to find ways to be able to attenuate that load. And if, if, you, if your calf or your foot or your ankle's not going to do that for you, well, your body's got to sort of make that up somewhere else. And, mm. and after a period of time... Uh, tissue tolerance can get exceeded and then that's how you yeah you get a sore back you get a sore hamstring um there can even be more um more specific things like if you think about the calf and the ankle that has a real important role in terms of the movement of the tibia which is your, your leg bone and um and if you're getting too much translation of the tibia that can result in things like knee pain it, you know it can result in risk of acl injuries and other bits and pieces so i think and, and sometimes when you're looking at these injuries and you're, and you're dealing with someone who's had a fresh injury and you're kind of going through their history, a lot of the time, you know, you're, you're picking up on things like, oh, I had a hamstring at this point or I had a calf at one point and just got back and, and, and maybe didn't cover off as well as they could have. And it's very, I mean, it's very crystal ball stuff sometimes. You can't predict when people are going to get injuries but and what they're going to get. That's, you know, anyone who can do that is... Would be a million dollars if they could predict it what's going to happen where, where you can have but i think just in terms of just risk mitigation just covering off and getting to the end phase and making sure that you're um completely rehabbing injuries back to the level where you were beforehand um if and if not better i think is is important and not just waiting till you're symptom free and you're feeling good and you feel like you can train but actually getting yourself right to the end point i think is important What's planned for the next three years for you? Yeah, so the clinic um, uh, where we're looking to continue to expand and and build. So we've got some really exciting things we're looking to uh, further develop in terms of um, sort of relationships with some netball clubs and some footy clubs as well and, and sort of building up what we can in terms of servicing injuries and building some pathways. So that's something that we're really looking forward to 
building up in the clinic. Um, in terms of sport, yeah, really planning on continuing to keep involved um, in AFLW and we've also got some other things going on with netball that we're looking forward to starting. But, um, yeah, just hopefully continuing to build what we're doing and, and hopefully getting a little bit balance and a bit of family time as well. Yeah, that's always helpful. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening to this episode. Um, if you like this episode, please share, like, subscribe, leave a review as well. It really does help us. Um, I know Mitch is very passionate about sport, um, as you can kind of tell. He's already done sport, really, yeah. <laughs> in more in the rehab sense. Um, and, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how, it, how the Demons girls go this season. As well, you know, fingers crossed. You fingers know. crossed, we can um, we can have another another flag, but we'll see how we go. Yeah, um, yeah. If there's any special requests or anything you would want to hear or want us to discuss or have any further questions, we're happy to go into more detail. This is the place where we can go really into detail about specific issues within the, I guess, the youth strength and conditioning scene. I guess in the merging market, especially with women's um, women's sport, it's still. In its infancy, there's a lot more research coming out now, which is really good to see. I still think we've got a long way to go, though. I think, I think, I think academically, yes, it's good to know this stuff, but in terms of application, we're so far behind. I reckon there's two, there's a, probably another five to ten years in terms of the application of because the numbers keep sky keep climbing up. Still do. Yeah, I know. So we we we're researching it. We know what's happening, but we're not. I guess the implementation is just not there yet. Yeah, not yet, no. Done. Until the next one. Thanks. Thanks, guys. You have just listened to the Inner Athlete Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date with the release of weekly episodes. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to get great tips on all things youth athlete development and youth mentoring.